If you do believe in miracles, why don't they happen more often? They seem more rare. And especially if you're a Christian and you read the Bible and you see about four to 6,000 years worth of stories and you see all the miracles inside of it and you're like, well, why don't they happen? They seem to happen like every other day in the Bible. One of the things you need to know is the Bible is four to 6,000 years long and there are fewer miracles in the Bible than you think. But if you were to collect everything that's happening across the United States and communities, if you were to collect all the stories of the miracles that are happening, you wouldn't be able to fathom it. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam Parham. I'm the host. Thanks for tuning in to episode 19. Uh, This episode is the beginning of a new series that we're calling Seen and Unseen. Um, This series, we're looking at miracles, uh, both seen and unseen, uh, particularly in the book of Acts in the early church. Um, We're excited for this to get get kicked off and get started. Nathan's going to be kicking us off in week one, talking about believing is seen. Often we hear that seen is believing, but in our faith, sometimes uh, we're called to believe before we can see. I think this is a powerful message. I hope that you guys enjoy it. Here it is. Oh, I'm grateful that you are here, every single one of you. If you're brand new, I'm great. I'm so happy that you're here. You might be here because you were invited, and uh, this is great. You know, whether you uh, are a tender of church, if you're a person who is a Christian, not that those things always are connected um, or not, I'm glad that you are here. We're going to be talking about miracles. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Seeing is believing, you hear that, but believing is seeing. And we're going to be talking about miracles. And whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, there are some things that happen in this world that are so hard to explain. And so my hope is to bring a little bit of light to that. And I would ask that your heart be open and that your mind would be open Uh, Because you know what? You can come out of there believing whatever you want, but wouldn't it be great to learn something new about the world today? My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm honored to be talking to you to begin this series on the unseen, on the unseen, and what God wants to do through a miracle. Now, what, what do I mean by miracle? Because I think people have different understandings of miracle. A miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. It's extraordinary. That's what extraordinary means. Now, I think extraordinary, the word has like everybody's extraordinary, so nobody is. But like extraordinary, this is something that's beyond. You can't explain it. And it means that God is showing up or divine is showing up in our day-to-day lives. Now, what are some things that I don't think are miracles? Um, You could talk about many of them, but there was a BuzzFeed article a couple years ago. It was 22 people who found Jesus in their food. Uh, It was really amazing. And you can look it up. It's still there. It's great. Um, But I don't think finding the face of Jesus in your food is a miracle, even if it's in a potato chip like this. Do you see Jesus? Do you guys see him? Yeah, there's Jesus in your potato chip. You can get lost in this. There's 22 of them. There's one Cheeto one that doesn't look like Jesus at all. But I don't think that this is miraculous. I think this is just, you know, we as humans look for patterns inside of things. It's like looking at clouds. We can see Jesus in the clouds. But I don't think that's a miracle. A miracle is something that can't be explained away. Something that breaks the laws that we have come to understand through 
science, it's something that's different. I have a question. Have you experienced a miracle? Have you experienced a friend who has a miracle? How do you react to that? Does it freak you out? Are you like trying to find every single reason why it's a coincidence or why there's an explanation for what it happens? What's your response to miracles? Because I know mine, I tend to be a little more skeptical at the beginning. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. Like the first thing I, I see a potato chip with Jesus' face, I'm like, that's just a burn mark. That potato was just messed up, right? Like I don't go to that first, but there are moments in my life where I've experienced things that are miraculous and I'm like, I have no frame of reference to understand that. And I think those are the moments that are important to pay attention to. If you do believe in miracles, why don't they happen more often? They seem more rare. And especially if you're a Christian and you read the Bible and you see about four to 6,000 years worth of stories and you see all the miracles inside of it and you're like, well, why don't they happen? They seem to happen like every other day in the Bible. One of the things you need to know is the Bible is four to 6,000 years long and there are fewer miracles in the Bible than you think. But if you were to collect everything that's happening across the United States and communities, if you were to collect all the stories of the miracles that are happening, you wouldn't be able to fathom it. Like you wouldn't be able to understand. Like you'd be stunned by the amount of miracles that are happening from all the cultures today. There's more than you think in today's culture, and there's less in the Bible than you realize. No matter what you believe, when a miracle occurs, if you're confronted with it, I want you to know that a miracle is a divine intervention. These moments that we need to pay attention to more, like I think we want off them, but they're important. And there's something being communicated in every miracle, the character and the purpose of God. One thing you need to know as a Christian as well, without miracles, our faith is invalid. Our faith is invalid without miracles. Without the miraculous, it's just another help help things. If you are a Christian, you believe in miracles, whether you realized it or not. You already do. And the why I know that is because the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ dying, being raised from the dead, that miracle is what we've based our entire Christianity on. And I want to talk about this series through our series verse, the verse that have kind of inspired this. Like we talked about this and we're like, oh my gosh, we have, to, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about Acts. It comes from a moment where Jesus, his follower, his name is Thomas, which we call Doubting Thomas. But Thomas is, is well known for having doubts about whether Jesus rose from the dead again. So Jesus died, he rose again, he appeared to the disciples, and they ran to talk to Thomas, like, Thomas, 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 he's alive. And Thomas, who's in grief, who didn't think Jesus would rise from the dead, says, you know what, don't tell me that. Unless I put my hands in the wounds where he was killed, I will not believe. And so Jesus shows up and says, hey, you want to put your hands in my hands? Do you want to put your finger in the holes where they pierced me on the cross? And Thomas is like, no, 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 I see, I believe. And John 20, 29 is our verse. Then Jesus told him, being Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our whole series is based on this, this moment, this time, that there is some kind of special blessing for us who didn't witness Jesus rise from the dead, and yet we have believed in him. For us, there's a unique blessing 
The evidence of Jesus and what he has done in the Bible, they help show us that he was who he says he was. He did miracles in all of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these are biographies of Jesus. It talks about all the miracles that he did, and it like messed with people's minds back then, and sometimes it messes with mine. It shows who he was, that he was God and he was man. But then in Acts, which is all about his people, all about the people under him, the disciples, they did miracles too. And those miracles help us understand the truth of what uh, Jesus said, that we would do even greater things. We'll get that in a moment. But healings, prophetic, bringing people back to life. The miracles that we'll read about in Acts, they are evidence of Jesus' power and the efficacy of his claims to be God. Miracles manifest the character of God. They have a purpose. What are we going to do today? So how are we going to start this series we're going to talk about recognizing the miracles of the past. I'm going to reveal to you some of the miracles that are happening in our church around us, which everyone's like, all right, just go right to that point. Just talk about that. I want to hear about the past. I want to hear about what's happening right now. We'll get there. And then what do we do with it? What are we going to do with this series? We're going to rejoice. We're going to request, and we're going to rest, and we'll get there in just a moment. But I want to re recognize the miracles of the past, the miracles of the past, See, there's a miracle in even having a universe. Did you know that? The miracle of the universe is incredible. There's a book written uh, by Eric Metaxas, and he goes into science, and his goal is to, through science, explain all of the intricacies of how the universe was written. He, he happens to be a Christian as well, but he just wanted to go in there and go and see science and take the theories that are currently being posited and show that even in that, the miraculous is there. And it's a beautiful book. I encourage you to go um, check it out. You can get it on library for free. But this stuff, I can't barely touch the stuff he goes into. Do we have any nerds in the audience? Nerds? Raise your hand, nerds. Balcony? Nerds, you're not going to get beat up? No nerds in the balcony. Good to know. All right, sweet. There's one over there. Um, go check this out. His stuff is just stellar. But I want to talk about the miracle of the fact that we even have a universe. Now, for the scientific community, um, they believe in, in the Big Bang, right? The Big Bang, you've heard of the Big Bang? The Big Bang Theory is a TV show. A Big Bang is actually like a scientific like, event that they believe happened. And, and he goes into that and realizes that, you know, breaking it down very simply, four different forces came into being at the Big Bang. That's what they believe. And those four forces, they interact with each other. They have a ratio to each other. And they all appeared in the millionth of a second in perfect ratio. So we won't even talk about the likelihood of that happening. Um, but I, I want to just focus on one ratio. One ratio between gravity and the electromagnetic force. And you don't have to understand this to understand that these have to be balanced to such a degree that it's, you know, to the 10 to the 40th power. If it's off by even 10 to the 40th power, Universe doesn't exist. No matter, no nothing, no nothing. And to understand what 10 to the 40th power means, I want to explain that to you in an illustration really quickly. So in order for this to happen, 10 to the 40th power, that means taking the United States of America, covering it with dimes in one layer, and then keep adding until you get to the moon, which is 238,000 miles then take one billion other North Americas, which we don't have, and cover them with 238,000 miles worth of dimes. Take one, paint it red, put it into all of the piles, take your friend, blindfold him, send him out in there, tell him to pick up one dime. And that dime 
The likelihood that he will pick up that one dime is 10 to the 40th power. That is the, the intricacy of these ratios. And he goes on to talk about more and more. And more. But I, I just want to talk about Fred Hoyle. Fred Hoyle is the one who coined the term Big Bang. He's a scientist and he's an atheist. And this is what he said, that his atheism was sh like shook. Like he was shook by this. Because he said this, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as the chemistry and biology. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion beyond question. Something interceded. It's the miracle of the fact that we have a universe. He goes on to talk about life on earth. See, we believe that life on earth is unique and it's, it's special. Carl Sagan in the 1960s believed that there could be life out in the universe and that only stip two stipulations needed to be true for a planet to have life. And because the universe is vast, they went and found like, okay, that means we're going to find life on another planet. Not like human life, like intelligent life, just life, period, life. Well, that number went from two stipulations to today. There's over 200 stipulations that have to be true, and the numbers are starting to get rather bleak. I love Star Trek. I love Star Wars. But there's not likely life on other planets. Well, that's rough. But anyways, let's just talk about the moon. The moon was pivotal in our Earth's creation. There were two bodies in all of space, and they collided with each other. And when they collided with each other, the Earth was formed and the moon. And the moon has to be the exact size, the exact shape, the exact distance from our planet in order for life to exist. Anything gets changed. Like if you wanted to kill the whole human race, blow up the moon. We're dead. Gone. And they say that this all happened at the same time. And it says this, listen to this quote. It's no exaggeration to say that in the infinitude of space, for two bodies to collide as they did is like this. Two bullets being shot from guns on either side of the Grand Canyon and meeting so perfectly head to head in midair that they canceled out each other's momentum, dropped vertically together to the canyon below. For such a thing to occur is essentially an impossibility. And yet somehow science tells us that this is what happened. It can hardly be understood sufficiently, but if this collision had ever been ever so slightly off by the one less than head on, or if these hurtling giants had missed each other with just a hair breath, we wouldn't be here. Who could deny that to believe this collision happened randomly and by accident takes more faith than believing it was somehow directed to happen? These are what scientists are saying. This is incredible. Eric sums up his view on creation and, uh, and creation and the universe and life by saying this. The slimness of our being is so slim that it's enough to leave us goggle-eyed with terror until the moment we realize we are indeed here and explode with gratitude for our very existence. This really can be the only proper and logical response to it all to marvel and rejoice and rest in the genuinely unfathomable miracle of our being. Miracles point to God and his love for us. And creation and life show us that. Maybe that's why it says in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 
All of creation testifies to the glory of God. So those are recognizing two from the past. I want to talk about one more, and then we're going to get to some stories about what God is doing. The resurrection. We've already hinted at this one, but the resurrection is pivotal. The idea that someone's body, like in rigor mortis with all the fluids and all the things that happen to you after you die, the the body, it's all messed up, that that would have some kind of power forced into it to regenerate on its own is, is just implausible. It's not factual. It can't happen except if there's some kind of outside force that steps in. And this is what happens in Jesus. And Jesus comes back in Luke and then in Acts, he starts talking um, to people and explaining things. Let me, let me go right to Acts 1, 1 through 3. This is the writer. He's talking about the book of um, Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The resurrection, it's a moment in time That's incredible, implausible. But Eric, and and through what we've learned of science, not just Eric, but this has been well known, you cannot deny that Jesus lived. He's not a fictional character. He lived, not just from the Bible do we see that, but we know that he lived. We know that he was crucified and laid in a tomb, and then on the third day that that tomb was empty. These things are facts. What you have to come to terms with is how he got out of that tomb. And I'd love to go into his book. You can find out more about all the theories about what would have happened that wouldn't be the resurrection. But in reality, all of them don't seem plausible or logical as you break them down. What we have based our entire Christianity and my entire life on is that Jesus rose from the dead and that he proved it. According to Apostle Paul, if it didn't actually happen, There is nothing more to discuss about Christianity at all. And what Paul said was that if Christ had not actually and literally raised from the dead in body, Christian faith is useless. It's a waste of time. He says that he'd rather be dead than have believed this because it's cost him so much. If that did not happen, our sins can't be forgiven and washed away. So Christian faith. Jesus' death and resurrection, it's the foundation. And all of us who believe in Jesus believe in this miracle. But listen, Paul wasn't the only one. It didn't make any sense for these disciples to make this up. They had to give, most of them, almost all of them, their lives for this. And what did that gain them? See, Christianity wasn't about power back then. It was about persecution and death and hurt and pain and sacrifice. So why would they keep going? Because when you are confronted with a miracle, you cannot deny that God has interceded in the world. And that's what happened to the disciples. It's absolutely incredible. But on top of that, what we learn in Acts is that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, not just so that he could do miracles, but so that we could participate in that as well. The miracles of creation, life, and resurrection help us understand that God is the God of miracles And Jesus said that we have a role to play. John 14, 12 through 14. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus, will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do, listen, even greater things than these. 
because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So as a Christian, I want you to know, as someone who believes in God, I want you to know that the unseen qualities of God will never be seen if we don't embrace the miraculous in our human existence. If we as Christians say, I just don't want to deal with the miraculous. I don't want to go there. I don't want to even think about it. I don't want to pray for it. I don't want to see it. You will never see the unseen qualities of God unless we embrace it. They won't come out. We as Christians have to embrace it. So what about now? What about now? What do we do? Before we get there, I don't want to just recognize the miracles from the past. I want to reveal the miracles that are happening now. Reveal the miracles of our present in our church right around us. And the first one I want to talk about is Stephen. Stephen Canfield, he's actually our worship director. He just led worship over here. A month ago, an injury occurred. He was picking up wood from his steps and all of a sudden he had a sharp pain in his back and it was so bad and so immediate he immediately went into the house and his legs went numb and he couldn't walk he got into the house called his wife from the floor and then eventually called an ambulance he had done something very difficult something bad to his back something was wrong and so an ambulance was called and this is a picture of Stephen's very flattering picture of Stephen but he's on the ground in pain, suffering. And at the hospital, he spent two days on his back as they tried to figure out what was wrong. And they figured out that he had a a bulging disc and a ruptured disc and that he had severely hurt his back. The doctor said it would likely be six to eight weeks before, six to eight weeks before he would um, be able to walk on his own given the severity of the injury. He said it might take surgery as well. It might take up to three months to heal, if at all. Not a very good prognosis. And people started praying. And the next day, he came out of the hospital in a wheelchair. And the day after that, he was in a walker. A week later, he was on a cane. A week after that, he was able to get around with just a back brace. And three weeks after the injury, he led worship on the stage. That's amazing. That's powerful. And now he's dunking on hoops. No, he's not. He could never do that before. <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. I want to share something, though, because that's cool. And, that's, and you could still explain that away if you wanted to. That's fine. But I choose to believe that something happened. Anyone who's ever had a back injury knows these things don't go away. These don't heal like that. Listen, this is his quote. And I, I, I got to read it for you. This is him thinking back to that moment where he was in that, that bed. Still, the scariest thing I remember was thinking was, what if I can never walk normal again? That's where he was at. What if I can't stand and lead worship? But the worst thought was, what if I can, what, I, <clears throat> what if I can't ever hold my girls again? I won't say that I was super spiritual and full of faith. I knew God could heal me, but I didn't know if God would heal. I knew God could heal me, but I didn't know if God would heal. Just the fear and the worry inside of that in those moments. I'll tell you another story about Ashley and Drew. Ashley and Drew go here. 
And about uh, around eight weeks into the pregnancy, they started to experience some complications. And due to the bleeding, they went to the doctor and found that a hematoma, which is free-flowing blood surrounding the uterus, had occurred, and there was a lot of danger with that. It can cause the placenta to separate, meaning the death of the baby in a complicated pregnancy. Three weeks after that, and after constant bleeding and worry and fear, they found amniotic fluid or water inside of the blood, and then they went back to the, to the doctor's office, and they got terrible news. In triage, two midwives, two nurses, and a doctor stood in the room and said that after the five tests came back positive, that the fluid sac had ruptured. They found out the hematoma was massive in size and had wrapped around the entire uterus. And that meant that the baby was going to die. They weren't even close to 24 weeks yet, which means that the baby, which they would only refer to as tissue, was not considered viable and that they must abort the pregnancy. Something inside Ashley and Drew rebelled against that and they said you know what we're going to do something a little crazy and they walked out in faith and decided to continue the pregnancy having designed and against medical advice and ama and they left later the medical reports of that doctor show that he had told them you should not continue this pregnancy and he even quoted them in the medical records as saying where there is a heartbeat, there is hope. Ashley and Drew said, our God is greater than this and bigger, and he's in control. And although there's only a 1% to 3% chance to carry the baby to term, much less that the baby comes out alive, we're going to do it. What follows is months of pain and suffering and fear and bleeding and tests it's raw. This is real. A lot, a lot of ultrasounds, 26 ultrasounds to be exact. That was what their refrigerator looked like. And as it built, hope began to build. Hope began to build in their hearts as they keep moving forward. And then they found a doctor who would actually meet with them, who specialized in high-risk pregnancies. And she said at one point, she goes, I, I don't know what's going on. I can't come to terms with this. Either you had five false positive tests or something's changed and you are a walking miracle. And then she says, I, I believe in miracles now after watching this. At 36 weeks, Hope Annalie was born at seven pounds, one ounce naturally. This is a miracle. It's powerful to have this little baby born when it shouldn't. It goes on, and what they didn't know, you see somewhere around 28 weeks, Ashley stopped leaking fluid, which really doesn't happen. So much so by 36 weeks, the sac had resealed, and there was too much amniotic fluid inside of it. It had grown. It was crazy. They didn't know that the placenta had reattached in a way that hadn't really ever been seen before. It was attached so firmly that she couldn't deliver it. She gave birth naturally, and then they had to go in in surgery to remove the placenta. Isn't that nuts? That's like every woman in here is like, that's not fair. Like, that's like I went through naturally and now I have to have the surgery. But it was so firmly attached that they had to go in and remove it. There's a miracle that happened. All this is documented on Facebook. And hundreds of people praying for a miracle. It's a miracle. 
I wish I could share the six pages it took to write this story down, but I want to share some things that are really important, and the first is this. One of Ashley's atheist friends said this, though she didn't believe in God, she prayed for us because hope gave her faith in something bigger. Do you hear that? Hope gave her faith in something bigger, and she figured if there ever was a time to speak it into existence, it was for hope. An atheist who doesn't believe in God believes in something bigger because when a miracle happens and a miracle starts showing up, it points to the divine. It points to God. That same doctor that I just referenced, she knew what she was doing. 34 years of practice. She used to be in a practice that delivered 9,600 babies a year, and she had spent her time in high-risk pregnancies. And she says, I can count on one hand the, am the amount of hematomas I've seen that were as big and extensive as yours. But I can only count on hope as being the only baby who survived. This is a miracle. And today she's alive, hope, <laughs> and hope's alive for all of us. Yeah, she's adorable. <laughs> hope is alive for all of us because miracles point to the spiritual in a way that makes the unseen qualities of God seen. But it's not just for you and for me, but for a world that needs to see a witness of God, that are hungry for something beyond themselves. Miracles help us realize that we can't explain everything. And they help us understand that even the laws of science we do know are bent and broken when the God who makes them shows up. This is the power of miracles and why we must celebrate them. This is literally a new life, a renewed, transformed lease on life for hope. It is more. This is what we celebrate, these miracles. When we celebrate, we're celebrating God who is changing things for our good, but ultimately for his glory. That is why we see them. So what is our role? Believe. Believe. Rejoice, request, and rest. Rejoice, request, and, and rest. I'm explaining what that means. One, we have to rejoice in the miracles we see. We have to celebrate them. We have to talk about them. We have to say, see how good God is. We have to do that. That's what we're called to do. Even if our miracle hasn't come true yet, we have to rejoice in the miracles of the people around us because God has shown himself in a world that needs to see him. We rejoice that we have a God who doesn't leave us out on our own because the joy of the Lord, it's our strength. It's our power. That's why we do New Life Weekends. Kay, uh, Kaya um, Filson, she, in 2018, she's nine years old. She just got baptized recently. And nine years old, she was in the back of her mom's car at a gas station. A man showed up and started shooting. She got shot in the arm, and other people didn't, uh, weren't as lucky. But she got shot in her arm, and she survived, and she was able to rehabilitate her arm. But she got baptized, and this is her getting baptized. And she shared from the stage her story, and she said this, I really feel like God saved my life that day. That day I realized God is always protecting me. And we celebrated. We celebrated that life. We celebrated it. And I want you guys to rejoice with us. So be here on New Life Weekend. 
be here because we're going to tell some stories that are worth rejoicing. And some of you, you're tired. You're tired of following Jesus. You're tired. You're just achy and you're like, oh, this is tough. And you need these moments to rejoice because you're like, yes, God is here. God is moving. And sometimes I can't see it in my life. But if I can see it in their life, I know that he cares. And then some of you, you need to get baptized. You haven't been baptized before. You need to share your story. You need to share your story. Why? Why? Because our testimonies matter. We only have the book of Acts and see these miracles. We only have it because people shared what God had done. The miracle of new life is the best thing and deserves attention. So share it with people. So we're going to rejoice we're going to rejoice, and then we're going to request. And this is probably the hardest one. We're going to request God shows up. We're going to request that he shows up. We're going to request that he does things and changes things. We're going to keep, 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 keep asking him to do miraculous things because it tells us to ask God, who's a good father, who gives us good gifts, to seek the Lord and that he will answer us. It says in the Bible that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. Jesus says you do not have because you do not ask. We are told to ask. Ask for God to show up. And this is a hard one because I'm asking you to pray with expectation that God is going to show up even if sometimes he doesn't in the way that you think. This is hard for those who have been asking God to show up in the cancer in their loved ones for years. Or for those whose miracle didn't come, we are called to ask because the miracles point to God and we need the world to see God. Finally, the only way we can rejoice and request is if we rest. Because we can't request for God to show up if he isn't going to show up unless we rest in God's sovereignty, meaning that God is God and he is big. Our job is to ask and then we let God do what only God can do. We choose to wait. Jesus did this when he was here as well, where he walked around people who were sick and healed someone and then left. Why? Because God is God. We need to rest in not always having the answers and knowing why. Rest in not forcing or making or earning a miracle. You know, when God shows up, it's not because we had enough faith or we forced it or we did enough or we put enough coin in the bank and now we're cashing in with God. That's not how God works. God shows up wherever he wants to. And then we get to rest in one more thing. And this is the one that I, I remind people of all the time, to rest in God's eventual intervention, meaning that someday God will show up, that the end of this story is not that we will keep going on and the way things are, but that God will show up and he will do the biggest miracle of all and he will take away all pain, all suffering, all hurt, all cancer. He'll take away all of the things that cause us pain and suffering. He will make them gone because that is God's plan and he will wipe away every tear and hurt and pain. And rest and know that that is God's promise to us. John 20, 29 again. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If we believe, we will be blessed. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. 
The experience might not be the same. It might not come out the way we think it should. But in believing in miracles and believing in the resurrection in Jesus, we find the rest we need and the joy that we need to move forward because we know it's not about us anymore. Even if the miracle didn't happen for you, even if we can't understand the why, we can understand the what, why miracles are. It's because we have a God who doesn't have to but does show up. We have a God who shows all of us his love for us in the miraculous. That he, the God of the universe, would step down and change things, change physics for us. Incredible. And for those in the room whose miracle didn't happen, I want you to know that our faith and living in this faith and trusting in God and requesting God that it's hard and then we have to wrestle with it. And sometimes things don't happen the way that we want them to. But miracles don't point to us in our lives. They point to God. Their purpose is God's glory and God's will. And the heart of Christianity is not that all evil and suffering and sin and pain and hurt would be eradicated now, but that God, who is going to change all those things in the future, would be glorified. And that all of us would be able to experience that someday through faith in Jesus Christ. It's about pointing to Jesus Christ. Miracles are about pointing to the glory of God. And that the only miracle that we really need, the only miracle that matters in this whole big world is the miracle of the resurrection because it means our life. And that we look back to the resurrection, recognizing the past and the miracles of the past, and we look forward to the future. The greatest miracle that will ever happen when God makes everything right. And in the middle, when we're in the middle, we trust in God and rejoice in any moment where he shows up as he moves us to that place. Someday, the miraculous today will be every moment of every hour of every breath. Someday, he will intervene once and for all. So what do we do? We believe. We believe in the unseen. And believing is seeing. That as we believe, we will start to see how God shows up in the day to day. As we finish right now, I just want you to know that God is speaking something to you and to us. And that if we, wherever we're at in the spectrum of miracles, I want you to know that we've got to wrestle with God. We've got to wrestle with God. And that's why this song was so important before. So much so that we're going to sing it again a little louder. Because it's in the wrestling, in that moment where we intercede for the people around us, that we're reminding ourselves that it's about God's glory and rejoicing. We're gaining strength from it. And that we are not allowing fear and unbelief to push us into sorrow, but trusting in who God is. I want to encourage you, for some of you, your miracle didn't happen or it hasn't happened yet. And we don't want you walking out of here frustrated or hurt or alone. And if I'm going to keep asking you to pray for something you've prayed for for 20 years and it hasn't come true yet, I better be willing to walk with you in that. And as a church, we want to. There are going to be people in the front here who want to pray with you, encourage you, and ask for God to move. Ask for the miraculous to come, to partner with you in that, that we are willing to pray and request for God to show up in the miraculous together. But for those of you who right now haven't accepted the first miracle you need to, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a moment to choose him. Will you stand with me? If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, we do that by talking to him 
and praying. The miracle is this, that God loves us and he shows up in these moments, but he wants to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to tell you that he loves you directly. But there's a problem because God is holy and good and we're broken. We can't be in conversation with each other the way that he wants us to be unless we are made clean again and that there's some kind of bridge between us. And so that's why Jesus matters so much, because he died and he rose again. He proved that he was able to be the bridge for us. What kind of power brings someone back from the dead? The kind of power that can connect us back to God. And so I want you to know him, to know God, for him to tell you how much he loves you and to tell you who you are. The only way, I know this, the only way to do that is through Jesus. And by you saying, I'm gonna follow Jesus with my life and I'm going to accept I'm going to accept that he died for me. So close your eyes. And if you want to commit your life to God, if you want to recommit it in this moment, pray with me. Repeat after me out loud or in your heart, whatever you need to do. But have this conversation with God. God, I'm broken. I know that I don't know you the way I should. I want to know you. I want to know that you love me. And I know the only way to do that is for Jesus to be the bridge between you and me. That he died for me before I was even born. Because he died, I can have new life. Because he died and rose from the dead, I can know you, God, by following Jesus, by doing what he said to do, and by resting in your sovereignty. So God, I commit my life to you. I will follow to the best of my ability. I will be baptized and I will celebrate the miraculous in my life. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below, and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.